0: It is a crisis that we are divided, and that if we could somehow address this division, maybe everything would feel a little better. And on the one hand, (laughs) I get it. We just spoke of, we just heard from the scriptures how our community, how the people around us are fundamental to our health, to our joy. to our happiness, to our being lifted up in times of struggle and in times of pain. Being one with the people around us, being one with God, being one with a sense of love towards ourselves and others is a beautiful gift that we pray for in the communion liturgy every single Sunday. And yet, and yet, I am convicted that there are worse things to be than divided. And I keep hearing, (laughs) I keep hearing that that's what we should address when in fact I think sometimes when we are divided, it is important to prioritize coming together over all else. But when what we are divided over is, is it wrong to be racist or not? The answer is not to meet in the middle. (laughs) That's not the kind of unity we're searching for. (laughs) When our question is about who to be and fundamental moral questions of what's gonna happen to real people in the world, meeting in the middle is not always the way to approach our division. (laughs) There are some things that are worse than being divided. And cruelty and oppression and children in cages are some of them. And so the question is, the question is, how do we value coming together as a community? How do we value being able to approach each other across lines of difference, which is important, and a spiritual skill that everybody should learn, without pretending as if unity, or the idea of unity, wins out over all other things. Because I want to say that that kind of unity is not the kind of unity that God is inviting us to. A kind of unity that requires force over or silence of some of the people inside the unity is no kind of unity at all. Oneness must involve, if it is to be valuable and good and something we work for, the health and flourishing of everyone in that oneness, and not only the health and flourishing of some of them over others. So it's not that I'm anti unity, it's that I think the thing we call unity most often isn't. Most often isn't. And this is particularly true in our churches. I hear a story from many folks who have come to Urban Village from places that are extraordinary churches that do really good mission that have wonderful worship, that care for people, but where the price of unity was queer people having to hide who they were and who they loved at every step of the way. That's not unity. (laughs) Because when God made people to be queer, God wanted communities where they could be themselves. And if unity requires hiding who God made you to be, it is no unity at all. And the other rough thing about unity is that we talk about it like it's about ideas. We talk about it like it's about the stuff we think about, right, like it's an abstract concept. I think that the best color is purple and you think that the best color is green and we should sit in community and just respect one another's thoughts. Uh, which, if that was what we were disagreeing about, would be great advice, would be a great idea, right? I have no objection to that. But the problem is, when we come together in communities, we don't just think about stuff, and we don't just talk about stuff. We do stuff. <laughs> you can either get married at your church, or you can't. You can either lead worship at your church, Or you can't. (laughs) Back in the days of Acts, in one of the first, most large and critical divisions of the church, we were either going to let Gentiles become Christians without getting circumcised, or we weren't. Right? It wasn't just what we were thinking about and talking about. It was about what we were going to do. And how do you make decisions as a community about what you are going to do? in a way that shows respect to everyone, in a way that shows love to everyone, but in a way that recognizes that when God talked about justice, God meant it. And when God talked about loosening the ties, bringing in the people, God meant it. (laughs) It's hard, it's hard, because all of us have had the experience of being in a community where we had the majority view, And all of us have had the experience of being in a community where we had the minority view about something really important. And we want to be protected in all of those times. So grace in community. Grace in community is critical to how we think about being humans. And a lot of people like to pretend that this this challenge, this difficulty of how do we move forward, how do we do stuff as a group, Uh, When we disagree or when we are divided, what is a good enough reason to to divide permanently and what is not is a problem primarily of Christianity or of organized religion. And I want to say it's not. (laughs) It's definitely a problem of Christianity and organized religion. But this is a problem you're going to have any time you try and do stuff with other humans in a workplace, in a community organizing group, at your neighborhood block club, at your book club where you drink rosé and read your favorite whatever, right? All of these places, anytime humans come together and there's people who aren't you in a marriage, in a roommate situation, right? It is hard to come together with other humans who aren't you, make decisions with them about what you're gonna do, and move forward with everyone feeling loved and respected and honored. That is like the human condition, (laughs) not a condition of of organized religion. But it's a really important question for us. And it's a really important question this July. It's part of why we're having this sermon series at all, as we consider uh, the Methodist church and what it is and what it's doing. So some of you know this, some of you don't. Urban Village is a place where Our staff members come from all different kind of Christian backgrounds. Our folks come from all kind of Christian backgrounds. I guarantee that at this moment in time, some of you grew up nuns, uh, N-O-N-E, not N-U-N. Although, you know, we do get everything. (laughs) I I will not make claims. Some of you grew up Roman Catholic. Some of you grew up Presbyterian. Some of you grew up in non-denominational churches. Some of you grew up Buddhist. I mean, some of you grew up everything. Um, But the church urban village was planted out of the United Methodist Church, which is a particular Christian denomination that I think has a lot to offer the world, but is currently in exactly that moment where we are deciding (laughs) what does unity look like? Who is a part of it and who isn't? And how do we make those decisions together? And we're doing that particularly right now around sexual orientation and gender identity. So I'm going to explain a little bit about that in a minute, but first I want to give you some background on how this grace and community stuff has worked in Methodism over time. One of the things that I love the most about Methodism, actually the reason I'm a Methodist, um, I grew up not going to church, um, but I converted as in late in my teens, and when I was 17... God told me I was going to be a pastor, and I was like, wait, what, who, when, what? I don't understand anything about what that means. Um, And so I spent a couple years actually looking at all the different ways you could be a pastor, at all the different denominations, and found myself even more confused at the end than when I had begun. (laughs) Um, But the two things I loved about United Methodism were, A, the theology of grace, which we talked about last week, and which we can talk about again if you want to, and B... I grew up kind of all over the place. It's one of the things I love about my life. I lived in D.C., I lived in Tokyo, I lived in rural Mississippi, I lived in central Illinois. And the United Methodist Church was the only denomination I could find that had a church in every single place I had lived growing up. And so I felt like, okay, every group has something great about it and something screwed up about it, but this one is in all the places. And that's where I feel like Jesus is, so I'll go there. (laughs) I'll pick that. And that's in part because the United Methodist Church is what it calls a connectional church, a connectional church. And unless you have taken a United Methodist polity class or were like super into confirmation at a United Methodist Church when you were 12, you have never heard that word before. So connectional describes the way in which all the different churches all around the world connect to one another. The United Methodist Church has 12 million people. Uh, about four to five million of them are in the United States. The rest are largely like kind of a smattering in Europe, a smattering across South America, and then a lot in West Africa and a lot in Southeast Asia. Um, And the way that we connect to one another uh, is uh, one of the different ways that churches can connect to one another. So some of you might have grown up Baptist or United Church of Christ Uh, Raise your hand if you know any of these. Yeah, okay. So so they have a model that's a congregational model, which really, really prizes each local church having lots of independence, being able to make decisions for itself and have the Holy Spirit move it, right? And they don't have to um, do what the rest of the churches in their denomination do. That's a value that I get. On the other side is a church like the Roman Catholic Church, right, where church authority and unity is highly prized. So you're not going to find one Catholic church that's doing super, super different theology from the rest of the Catholic churches. You're not going to find one that's doing super, super different mass. Or if you do, they might be in a little bit of trouble (laughs) with the people, right? Um, there's, There's a strong value on people know what to expect when they come to us. We have a long history and a long tradition, and so we're not just going to change at the flip of a hat, right? We want to take our time and thoughtfulness. And I see the value in that as well. Methodism falls somewhere in the middle where we have a strong sense that we want to be connected to one another as individual churches, but that we also want individual churches to reflect the place where they are. So there's not one kind of worship you're going to find in any Methodist church you go to. Some Methodist churches look like us, right? We got a band. We're pretty loose and shaggy. Um, Other Methodist churches, yeah, right? Like, let's be honest. Yeah, own it. It's a, a, I'm I'm pro, I'm pro loose and shaggy. Um, You're going to walk into other Methodist churches that are very high church, robe, stole, incense, shiny things. Um, You're going to walk into other, right? Like also beautiful, also real joy from that. Um, You're going to walk into Methodist churches that have a very, uh, uh, much more charismatic, like three hour worship, lots of music, lots of passionate, right? Um, And all that is good. And you're also going to find a lot of theological variation, Um, different things being preached at these churches. It's not always going to be the same. But where we come together is often how we act in the world, so mission. Um, So one of the things you heard about Brian, this event that he invited us all to, this uh, fundraiser that's going to provide free legal services to immigrants in our area, is a ministry of the United Methodist Church. We join together with 300 other churches in northern Illinois, some of which are in tiny little towns out by the river by Iowa, some of which are in the middle of the city, some of which are large, some of which are small, and we all pool our funds and our time to make sure that we can provide legal services to immigrants because that's really important, and no one church can do it on their own. Another big value of that missional connection is um, we have what I think is one of the best, best... um, relief organizations in the world. Something called the United Methodist Committee on Relief. All that money again is pooled from all 12 million Methodists across the world. We are the first in and the last out to almost any hurricane or humanitarian disaster you could name. Really they do extraordinary work and I always know I can trust it. These are some of the great things about coming together. Another is just that people recognize the name. I had an experience at a church that I was pastoring before I came to Urban Village um, that was really tragic and challenging, where where someone within the church, um, they and a family member were on a vacation in another state, so they were hours and hours away from um, Illinois where they lived, and one of the members of the family passed away suddenly, one of the best people I've ever known, and it was just this tragic, awful moment. And their family member called me and just did not know what to do. They're in a place where they don't live. They've experienced one of the most traumatic things you can experience. I just Google Mapsed United Methodist Churches and started calling them. (laughs) I started calling every single church I could find that was within 50 miles of where they were. And within three hours, there were three United Methodist pastors praying with her at the hospital. I think there's a significant likelihood um, that those pastors really fundamentally disagree with me about some points of theology <laughs> and that we would be really surprised by what our churches do and how they act and what they value. Um, but I will never forget and always be grateful for the way that they showed up for someone who I could not show up for and who needed them desperately. It's one of the most um, like moving and valuable things that anyone has ever done <laughs> for me and for my community. So that's what connectionalism can look like, where we really disagree about some stuff, but on other stuff, we come together and do good in the world, (laughs) and it can be a joy. But there are still points where divided is not the worst thing we can be, (laughs) where we can't prize unity over others, and so that's what we're thinking about now. Um, The United Methodist Church is in a place where, for 30 years, we have been fighting and fighting and fighting Over um, whether we are going to honor the fact that God made gay and trans people to be who they are and what rights they're going to have in our churches. And currently, um, so the way that the United Methodist Church makes decisions goes back to the very earliest days of the church in the 1700s um, where we meet, it used to be every year, every two years, but we meet every four years and we basically vote on a bunch of stuff, and thats it's lay people, it's clergy, it's people from everywhere, it's people from every country, and we vote, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna be like? And that's everything from how do we process money to like what are our giant social stances? We vote on all kinds of stuff, it takes two weeks, we never get through everything we're supposed to get through, it's like a disaster, and also all other ways, you know, what's the other way you'd do it? And at those conferences every four years, now, um, in the sort of book of law that directs all United Methodist churches across the world, it says that you cannot be ordained. So you can't become a pastor like me, even if that's what God called you to do, even if that's what God, God wants you wants for you, if you are an avowed and practicing homosexual. What many of my gay pastor friends say is, I'm not practicing, I'm great at it. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm done with the rehearsal stage. Um, so it says that uh, our, our local communities that decide whether someone can be a pastor aren't allowed to do that for, for uh, gay and lesbian folks. And it also says that pastors, if they marry same-sex couples, uh, that you're not allowed to do that, that you could be defrocked for that, which means you get your pastorhood taken away. Now... Um, uh, just because it says it doesn't mean that's how people do it <laughs> over 900 churches have defined themselves as reconciling saying that they recognize the full humanity of all um, queer folks and that God made them to be that way and that that is how we should live Urban Village, from the day we were founded, all of our pastors, including me, and I was this way before I came on to Urban Village, have committed that we will always marry any couple who comes before us who are filled with love and grace um, and who, who like we see caring for one another, um, regardless of which gender they both happen to be, and we have done those marriages, uh, and we don't care what the consequences will be, right? Um, and we are lucky to live in a part of the world where people are rarely punished for that because so many pastors have basically said, like, I'm not going to do that. That's wrong. That's against who God is. But it remains the written letter of the law, of the church law. And it's been that way for so long, and we've been divided for so long. Um, At the last general conference in 2016 in Portland, Oregon, the the gathered community, basically said, we want a special process to just think about this. What are we gonna do? Where are we gonna go? How are we gonna live? And a special committee of approximately 30 folks, Dying in the Wool Methodist, correct me, um, uh, who have been meeting for a long time to try and figure out what we're gonna do. And there's gonna be a special meeting from February 23rd to February 26th of next year in St. Louis, Missouri, so if any of you wanna go and yell there with me, you are totally welcome to do so. Um, and we're going to decide what we're going to do. Are we going to become a place where each church can be who they want to be and each pastor can decide based on their conscience? Are we going to become a church uh, where we kick out all of the people who are affirming and who know the truth? Uh, I'm, yeah. Are we going to be a church that, uh, is, that outlaws discrimination and then people who believe that that is against the, the conscience of God would leave? And so all of that is happening next spring, and so we're thinking a lot about what it means to be united (laughs) and what things are worse than division. And if you guys are curious about how this works, we're gonna be um, letting everybody know as more comes out about the possible plans that are gonna be voted on that time and how they would impact Urban Village um, as we get details. Right now, we just don't have details on some of them, but we wanna be as transparent as we can, which is why we're doing a sermon series on polity, which you would not normally think would be the most interesting and fascinating thing. So it's going to matter for us. (laughs) What price unity? If the price of unity is that thousands of people who God made have to live in fear, that's not unity, and it's not worth the price. If the price of unity is continuing to live in tension and disagreement, but being able to continue to influence people who aren't there yet, that to me is a harder question. And it's one that we're gonna to have to really consider together. And it's one where it's not gonna be the pastors who make the decision, it's gonna to have to be you who tell us what can we abide and what can we not abide. Here are the things that are never gonna change about Urban Village. <laughs> we are always going to be inclusive of everyone. We are all, yeah, amen. We are always going to marry any couple, regardless of gender, sexual orientation, who come before us and are not abusive and love each other. I mean, there are limits, right? But those aren't the limits. Those are dumb limits. (laughs) We do the good ones. Um, We are always going to marry folks who come before us. We are going to hire pastors of queer identity um, and cis straight identity, and we actually want to make an effort to make sure that we have lots of queer pastors on our staff. That's always who we're going to be. Nothing about that will change today. Nothing about that will change tomorrow. Nothing about that will change in February. But we do have to consider what we could abide the larger church doing and what we couldn't, what we can live with and what we can't, what we want to say to other people about our experience, what we want to teach them about what it's like to be in an inclusive community. And those are all responsibilities we have as a part of a larger church that has not yet learned the truth about how God made queer people, and if you don't see the gift that they are, you have missed out on who God is. That is a good news that we have that the rest of the church needs to hear, and so we're going to try and figure out how to share it. And we want to hear from you what you think needs to happen. When the details of different plans come out, which ones you could live with, and which ones you couldn't, and which ones you want to advocate for, and what you want to say to other people in the church who don't understand, and we want to be carriers and bearers of those messages. So if you have questions, we're going to have another United Methodist Q&A after worship on July 29th, where we're going to talk about all this stuff. But I want to come back to the scripture before we end. And I want to come back to, at the very first conference ever, where people started making these decisions, um, (laughs) there were only ten people, which must have made it easier. (laughs) There were ten pastors in the Methodist movement in the 1740s, and here is what John Wesley, who was the founder, said... The first preliminary question was proposed. This is in 1744. How far does each of us agree to submit to the unanimous judgment of the rest in every practical point so far as we can without wounding our consciences? Which is really a pretty good question for most of what you're going to do in life. How much can you get along with other people? How much can you make your goal to make things work, to live in community, to tolerate as much difference as you can? But then how can you notice when doing that begins to wound your conscience? When doing that would mean going so far that somebody gets hurt, that somebody is left unprotected. How can we be as open as we can to what all people bring until the moment when being open to an idea or a practice would mean harm to another human that we cannot abide? They're the two questions for all of us in everything that we do. They're good questions, and we have been given the Holy Spirit to answer both of them, not just one side. I'll say that in Acts 15, when Peter and Paul had this same dispute, and both of them had good points, right? Peter is over here saying, there is a way of life, and there is a law that has formed us and shaped us, and it has been good. It has been good for our community. It has brought us closer to God. Why wouldn't we invite everyone else into it? And Paul is saying... This is a different cultural group, right? We are a multicultural community. They don't get what we do and what we've been doing. We can't demand that they do all of the stuff that we've always done because they don't get why it's important yet. But we can let them in the door. They both had good points. They both had good arguments. They both had love and care. They both loved God. But in the end, the community could not make both decisions. It had to make one. And the one decision that looking at fruit, looking at This is the first thing they did, right? Scripture came at the end. The first thing they did was they said, what has been happening when we act both of these ways? When we act the more inclusive way, miracles and wonders happen, (laughs) right? When we look at how we've been acting, what has been happening? When we look at the scripture, what is some guidance? When we talk with each other, what do we hear? And where the Holy Spirit led them was to draw the circle wider and not smaller, was to loosen more laws than they tightened, was to say this can be a community for everyone and that can be good. And we are all, every single one of us, beneficiaries of that decision. And I hope that we would keep it in mind as we figure out for ourselves and every community that we are a part of at what cost unity might come and what we're gonna advocate for, for our fellow people. Amen?